Good morning. Every time I, I've been teaching for the past several months, we have been going through some of the names of the Lord. In particular, uh, the names that are compounded with Jehovah. And this morning, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, and we are going to be looking at the name of the Lord when he revealed himself as Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord, our peace. Father, this morning, Lord, I just want to come before you and, Lord, all my inadequacies, Lord, all my weaknesses, and uh, I, I pray, God, that you would get glory for yourself today as we have come to, to, to meet, to worship, Lord. Um, God, open our minds up, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, Father, that you would, God, just let your word of truth, let it just resonate in our hearts. And I want to pray for each one that has come this morning. It's not by accident. And so, Lord, I just want to pray for each one that where they're at, God, Lord, I believe that you're going to minister to them. Open our ears to hear, Lord, and let everything that we do, let it honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the sixth chapter of the book of Judges, we see the story of what is I think Gideon was the fifth judge over Israel. And it might be six, depends on how you want to break down Deborah and, and Barak. But um, the book of Judges was this. It was, uh, it was a period of time, it was after the death of Joshua who had succeeded Moses. And Joshua had led the children of Israel into the promised land. And it, and and. The book of Judges is from that time until we get to where Saul was made king over Israel. So that's the time of the Judges. And during this time, there seemed to be a repetitive pattern in the book of Judges. And it went like this. Uh, Israel would abandon the Lord to serve other gods. And God would punish them by raising up one of the nations around him to oppress them. The people would cry out to God for deliverance, and God would raise up a deliverer to save them. In about seven, chapter 17 of Judges, I believe it is, it, it says it was a time when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that kind of gives you just a, a little bit of a background of the time of the, of the judges that we're dealing with. And so... Judges 1 through 6, I mean, uh, 6, chapter 6, 1 through 10, here's, here's what's going to bring us up to where we're at. It says, the people of Israel, now they had just been delivered by Deborah and Barak, and usually you'll find this a lot. Usually they'll go about 40 years or so where the, the land had peace, and then the people began to drift off. And so we get in chapter 6, and it says, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of, the, of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because, Midian, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. 
And whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and they would encamp against them and they would devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and they would leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. And it says, For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number, both they and their camels, and they could not be counted so that they laid waste as the land they came in. Now, if you're not understanding that language, basically what was happening was Israel was being oppressed by Midian, the Midianites, for seven years. And every time, what happened was Israel had to retreat to the dens, and they had to go into hiding in order just to try to grow food to be able to live upon. And then the the Amalekites, the Midianites, and others would come in, and they would come in multitudes. And if they found anything they had grown, they found their animals or whatever, they would just devour them. So you can just, you kind of get the idea that no matter what they did, no matter how hard they worked to have some kind of sustenance for their people, the enemy would come and just devour it and take it from them. And the Bible says that Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel, they cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppress you. And I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. And you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. And so that's the backdrop of where we're going to pick up in, in verse 11. And in verse 11, what we see is we see it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth at Ophrah, and it belonged to Joash the Abarizite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, he said, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, he says, Please, Lord, he says, How can I save Israel? He says, Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If, I now, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. He says, Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house, prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, and he put meat in a basket, he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth, and he presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them, and he did so. 
And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, he said, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace, or Jehovah Shalom. And to this day it still stands in Ophrah, which, be, which belongs to the Aborizites. Now, I know I did a lot of reading there. We're going to be looking today at the Lord is Peace. The Lord is our peace. For everybody in here that is a believer, and I hope that everyone in here is a believer, I want to ask you a question. As you sit here today, do you feel that you are resting in the Lord? And maybe another way to put that is this. Do you feel the peace of God ruling and abiding on and in your life? Because here's what I find so much of the time. I find that as I visit with people, I find this sometimes in my own life, I find that I don't feel this peace. Now, as believers, I want you to understand something. If you're truly the Lord's today, positionally speaking, you are at peace with the Lord. But on a practical level, my question to you is this. Do you feel the peace of God abiding in your life? And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so what we want to view in this, in this passage of Scripture is this. What was the cause of the unrest that the children of Israel had? Because what we're going to see is this. We're going to see that the children of Israel, they did not feel the peace of God. They were not at rest. They were in hiding. They were working hard to try to just survive. And it was all being taken from them. So what was the cause of the un un unrest? And, and this is probably a general statement or a general word. But the cause of unrest was simply this. And it was sin. Folks, I need, I, you need to understand today that when we go and we walk in sinful patterns, you need to understand we're not going to find the rest, the peace of God ruling and abiding in our life. And if you're a child of God, on one hand, yes, positionally, you are at peace with God. You are his child. But on a practical level, you're not going to feel God's peace residing in your life and so what was the first thing that israel had had done what was the, what was the thing if we're going to look at sin what was it well the first thing that israel had done was this they had forsaken the lord now i'm not going to go over and read it because it would take too long and i've, I've done quite a bit of reading but for your note taking and such in deuteronomy chapter 6 1 through 25 you're going to find this, that in, in verses 1 through 6, God had told Israel that they were to keep his commands. He says, you're, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you, you know, he says, you're going to keep the commands of the Lord. Now, so much of the time, folks, we view these things as like some rigid thing, like, oh, we've got to do these things. Do we not understand that when God says, these are the things that I want you to do, these are the things that 
work peace in our life. I mean, it's just like this. You, you, when you were a child, just think about this for a moment. When you were in fellowship with your parents, why was that? Because when your parents said, oh, I want you to do this or not do that or whatever, and as long as you were obey, you know, obeying or being obedient, there was no reason to fear. There was no unrest. But isn't it amazing how when you knew that you had did something wrong, there was this sense of being found out. There was this no peace, you know. I mean, sometimes you confess things that they didn't even really know just because they said, there's something you're not telling me, you know. And they're talking about maybe something good. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I, you know. There was this no peace in your life. So the first thing that they did, listen, so he says they were to keep the commands of the Lord in verse uh, in verse 3, he says, why? That it may go well with them. In verse, in verse 7, in that chapter, he says that not only were they to do that, but they were to teach them to their children continually. He says, I want you to be, as you walk around, talk about it. As you're doing this, talk about it. You're cooking, talk about it. Put it above the door, put it on the wall, put it everywhere. I want you to teach these commands diligently to your children and why did he want them to do that that they would not forget the lord so that they would not should not go after other gods he said lest the anger of the lord your god be kindled against you so when you look at this the first thing they did was they had forsaken the lord and why had they forsaken the Lord? Well, we just kind of read it there. But the next reason is this. They had forgot the Lord. Why had they forgot the Lord? Because they had started not walking the commandments. They had failed to teach them to their children. And when those things happen, you start forgetting. Why is it we do communion once a month? Why did Jesus say to do this? As often as you do this. Why do you do this? He said... You're remembering my death. You're remembering my body that was given to you. You're remembering the blood that was shed for you. So I've been, in, I've been at times where I've been in a church and we're like, man, it's like all of a sudden one day just something like, we haven't done communion in a long time. Does anybody remember? I mean, this is not here, but it's like, man, maybe we ought to do that. Because, folks, as much as we would like to think we don't forget, that we'll always remember, we do forget. When you read in the Old Testament, you're just like, man, I just can't go through this, these first five books, man. It's like God just keeps repeating things and repeating things and repeating things. Why do you think he's repeating things? How many times did you as a parent go, how many times do I got to say this? Right? Listen. They had forgot that the Lord had revealed himself as Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, your provider. See, in, in chronological order, the Jehovah Shalom, what we're talking about today, was the fifth compound name of the lord the first one that was ever talked about was jehovah jireh 
back in Genesis. They had forgot that it was the Lord who was the one that would provide for Israel. And you see, what happens is this. Church, do we do this? Do we? I mean, we talk about, and, and it's taught so wrong so much of the time, all the charismatic, all you know, oh, the Lord provides. He gave me, you know, I've got a Rolls Royce type faith, you know, mansion. He pro- Basically, the Lord, when he's really talking about, is that God is the one who provided the sacrifice for our sins. Inside of that, our Lord does provide what we need. And you see, what happened to Israel was this. They started looking around. They started looking at the people around them. And they started saying, hey, well, maybe if we go serve their gods, then maybe we'll get what they get. And most likely it would have been sinful things. They had forsaken the Lord. They had not under, they had forgot to keep the commandments. They forgot to teach. They failed to do these things. And so now they forget that it is, it is the Lord who provides. The Lord provides deliverance. The Lord provides their leadership. The Lord provides all of these things. And aren't we just like that today? It's incredible. I took a trip one time. Me and my family did. I took a trip and down to Colorado, and I was there was it was like a, a kind of a camp type meeting, and I was going down there and planning on preaching. And this was July the third, okay? It was July the fourth. You know, I always have you know holiday camp type meeting type things. On July the third, late in the afternoon, my van quit running down some road in Wyoming, not the interstate, just some road. I'm not a mechanic. All these people are just blowing right by us. Thank God there was a big shoulder on the road, but people just kept blowing by us, you know. I've got my kids in there with me. Kyle was a baby, about the size of Benjamin, maybe a little bit bigger, but he was young. It was hot. We had a, my wife's cousin was with us. And they're all looking at me to figure out how to get us going again and I don't have a clue I just know this thing won't start and out of all the people that are going by me this old beater looking van like some 70's model van just pulls pulls beside me and pulls up and it's this little woman she didn't look like no mechanic for sure she says, is there anything I can do? And I just remember thinking this thought. I thought, you got to be kidding me. Out of everybody that stops, this is the one. And I was, you know, I was nice. I said, no. I said, I, I don't know what's the matter with it. And I said, I'm just kind of waiting to see it. Maybe it'll cool down. You know, I don't know. Not a great plan, but what else was I going to do? And she says, well, I'll go get you help. And I just looked at her and I thought, she didn't look like nobody important that would be able to go to town and say, hey, somebody, you know, she looked like somebody that everybody probably ignores. Well, about 20 minutes go by, maybe 25, and I look up and I see this van coming back this way. She pulls over and she gets out and she has on, like, no shoes. She has on shorts. I mean, just this little, short little lady comes across. Now, Justin never likes this part. I don't know why, but... She had a great big Tootsie Roll. I don't know why it was just charity on her part. 
She said, I seen you had some kids in there. Would they like a Tootsie Roll? I was like, okay. You know, but she said, and this is what she did. She grabbed my hand and she said, my God wants you to have this. And there was a $50 bill in my hand. And she says, and there's going to be a guy come over this hill in a minute, and he's going to help you get your van to town. And she said, and he wants you to know that he loves you. I can't really explain to you the, the, the feeling in that van. Now, I'm not trying to get all weird on you, but I'm just telling you what it was like. And it was like, it was like the van was spinning at that moment. And before I kind of had my senses, she was already back across the, the there's like four lanes. She's already back across it, and she's climbing in her van. I thought, I didn't even ask her name. I, didn't, I don't even know if I said thank you. About five minutes, a guy comes over the hill, and he says, hey, I heard you had some problems. And I said, yeah, and he goes, well, let's take a look. He gets under my van, and so I get out, and I said, man, did you know who that lady was? He said, I've never seen her in my life. He said, I did, he said, I'm, I go to work at night, and he said, I was about to get up. He said, I just know there's this van in my driveway parking, I mean, uh, honking her horn. She comes out, and she says, hey, there's some people over here need some help. You need to go help them. Is this story odd? He's like, okay. He said, I've never seen her before. When he turned off, when we when he got my van running, and we was following, and we I followed him, and he turned to to go to his house. It looked like around this part, the peanut field, like a, just a sandy drive that you wouldn't think there's nothing down there. For some reason, she drove down there and found his house. Now, why do I tell you this? The next day, we get up. Van's not fixed. It's July the fourth, right? I find a, a guy that is. I call parts stores. He's not open. Okay? He's not open. But you know what he does? He says, man, are you stranded? And I said, yeah, I'm stranded. He goes, you meet me down there right now. My van would run for some reason. So I got down there, and he says, he don't have the part. He could have closed up. He was going to charge me 50 bucks just to do that. I was like, I'll pay it. He starts calling the mechanic shop, who's only open till like, you know, 2 or something. And he says, all these things. And he goes, hey, look, you think if we did this and this and put a toggle switch and all this stuff... They go, yeah, I think that'll work. I buy this part that really ain't the part. The mechanic shop has just enough fuel line to work. I got to jump out and turn a toggle switch on to turn my fuel pump on. When I kill it, I got to turn it off. They got me running. You know why I tell you that today? You see, because too often I forget what God done for me. And I'll get to a point in life and I'll think, what are we going to do? Let's try this. Let's try that. And God's saying, don't you remember what I've done for you? Our God provides. They had forgot that it was the Lord who provides. They forgot that he was Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. They had forgotten that in, in this distress they were in, they had forgotten that it was the Lord who was the one who healed. It was the Lord when they couldn't drink water. He said, throw the tree in the water, and the water became sweet, and they could drink it. They had forgot that it was the Lord who provides and the Lord who heals. They had forgot 
that the Lord was their banner, that He was Jehovah Nissi. He was, he was their standard. He was the name that they lived and they fought under. He was the one who gave the victory and who fought for them. And they had forgot that He was Jehovah Mekadeshkin, the Lord sanctifies. They had forgot that the Lord had set them apart as a people unto Himself. And He chose them as a people, a royal priesthood, holy, meaning set apart unto Him. They had forgot those things. Now it doesn't say it there, but no doubt they had begun to worship other gods. That is the pattern all through the book of Judges. Now we would never do that, would we? How many of you, when you're going through trials, that you go to the Lord or do you go and see what kind of help Oprah can give you or Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz? I mean, TV's loaded with these guys, right? You, some of you may still be old horoscope readers. I don't know. Finding out how your life's going because of what the stars are telling you. Do we, do we forget? Third thing is unbelief once you forsake and once you forget listen to this in verse 13 Gideon said to him he says please sir he said if the Lord is with us why then has all this happened to us and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, he's saying this. He has doubt. He has unbelief. He's saying, well, if, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened? He says, where are these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted? When did the fathers recount? You see, they were, they were over there, and they began to remember, no doubt, the Lord tells him with the prophet he said it was the lord who sent or the lord led you up from egypt he brought you out of the house of slavery he delivered you from the hand of the egyptians and from everyone who oppressed you and he drove them all out and they begin to say you know it was the lord and they begin to cry out to god right and here's gideon he says well it's it's the lord now, i want to ask you something how many of you sat here and we read stories like this and we rejoice. And we even hear stories of missionaries 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And we see how God worked in their life. We hear about George Mueller, how God answered over 50,000 confirmed, written down prayers. Something like that. The numbers, like astronomically, you know, if you're going to record prayers. And we go, oh, you know, and then it comes to us. And we go, well, where are you, Lord. If you're with me, then why am I in the situation I'm in? I mean, I hear about all the stories, all the testimonies, all the wonderful things you've done for other people. But, but where's that? If, that? if that's true, Lord, then, then why am I where I'm at? How come I'm here? So unbelief can enter in. I, w I just want to ask you something today. 
Do you believe that the Lord your God loves you? No, wait, let me, let me make something clear. I'm talking to the whole group, right? But I want you to personalize this. Do you believe that the Lord God loves blank, your name? Well, I know the Lord loves his people. No. Do you know that the Lord loves you? Let me ask you this. Can you stand and say today, I know my mom loves me. I know my mom loves me. My mom will brag on me when she really shouldn't be bragging on me. Can you say that with the same conviction about the Lord your God? Do you have that peace residing in you today? The next thing we find of this unrest is unworthiness, a feeling of unworthiness. In verse 14, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. He says, Do not I send you? And listen to his response. He said to him, He says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And you, you need to understand, most of the time when they did the, the numbering of the tribes, usually Manasseh was the least. They were usually the smallest. And he says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You know what he's saying? How can I do this? I am the least of the least of the least. He is saying, I am the lowest person in Israel. There's no one less than me. How can I do this? How many of you sitting here today constantly say, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Oh, I couldn't do that. We hear about missionaries, those great men and women of God, right? Well, those great men and women of God, they start off by going, I can't do anything. Who am I? And so all these things lead to this unworthiness. And in this sense of unrest, probably the last thing I'm going to read is probably the most fearful of all. At this point, we're at a, we're at, we get the picture that we are so far from God, we really can't feel His presence in our life, right? Well, do you know what's more fearful than that? It's when God shows up. Now listen, look in, look in verse 22, or 16 through 22, but I'll, I'll probably get back to that in a little bit. But listen to what happens in 22. Now this is after Gideon had said, let me go prepare a sacrifice, a gift. And the Lord says, I'm going to wait here for you. And he does, and he accepts it. And then in 22, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, 
O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now you go, well, what's that mean? What it means is this. It's like saying, oh my goodness, I have seen God face to face. I'm going to die. I mean, the only thing more dreadful than when you don't feel God is when God shows up fully in your life and He's confronting everything in your life. And you know that this God is real. And there's this thing, you're trembling. God has shown up. Listen, Gideon realized that he was in the presence of God and he fears he's going to die. It's a terrible place to be when we no longer feel the presence of God. But it's quite another when God shows up and His presence makes us aware of who we are and who He is. When God's divine presence is made known to us, there is such an awareness of God's holiness and our sinfulness that our responses are, are similar to these men. And in, in, in Psalms 51, 9, and you don't got to turn there, David, in, in this psalm that was the prayer psalm of his adultery with Bathsheba, he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. When God shows up, have you ever been in the presence of somebody that you felt like was a very, very godly man or woman in the Lord? Have you, have you ever been around somebody like that? And the way you normally kind of act like an idiot and just talk and do things, all of a sudden, man, you're, there's this awareness. Me, I just want to shut my mouth completely. Because I, I feel there's this sense of godliness around me that I have not experienced. Well, can you imagine being in the holiness of God, being present? David, right here in Psalms 51, he says, Lord, hide your face from me. I can't bear for you to look at me. Do you remember when Peter, when he denied Christ three times, and you look in the book of Luke, and it records it like this, the third time that he denied Christ, it says the Lord turned and looked at him, and Peter had to leave, and he went out and wept bitterly. Isaiah 6, 5. Isaiah, he was the man of all men in Israel. I mean, this was a godly man. He was the prophet. And when Isaiah saw the vision in the days of King Uzziah, and he saw these seraphims flying around the throne of God, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His response is this, woe is me. I'm going to die. He says, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, I hear people say such foolish things like, oh, and I die, I'll stand for the Lord. And I'll just tell him how, you know, just tell him, you know, I'll explain it. We have no idea what it is to be in the pure. God is holy. It's, it's, it's how he described himself, but it's not something outside of himself. He is holiness. 
And to be in that presence. And then all of a sudden you're going to see how wickedly sinful you are. So when God shows up, there is a real sense of unrest. How it is that you hear the stories when somebody's sitting in the church pew? There's, you know, it could be wherever, but they hear the gospel preached and God opens their eyes to see who he is and what they are before him. And there's a breaking down. There's a, a coming and just weeping. And it ain't always like this. But there's this sense of an awareness of God that you've never experienced. And you know you're not at peace with Him. And they come and they crumble before His feet. In Luke 5, 8 it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, now what did he see? Jesus had told him, he said, hey, let me get on your boat. Why don't you go out and cast out? He says, he said, well, we fished all night, Lord. There's nothing out there. Why don't you put your nets on the other side? There's nothing worse than for somebody to come on your job, the job you know how to do, and they don't do it, and they're just some rookie, and they go, hey, try it like this. And you're like, ah, oh, I'm just, you know. He said, why don't you try it on this side of the boat? And when they did, the net was so full it began to break. Just that right there, it says, Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In Revelation 1.17, talking about John, he says, When I saw him, Jesus, he said, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. John was the one he would speak of himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was the one who laid his head on the chest of Jesus when they reclined and ate supper together. And now he sees Jesus in his glory and he fell at his feet as dead. When God shows up, there is a sense of unrest. And that would be an understatement. And that was what Gideon's response was when he said, Alas, O Lord. It's like he's saying, What am I going to do now? He has realized now who he's been talking to. And he says, I'm as good as dead. The next thing we look at is what was the Lord's response to him? Verse 23 says, But the Lord said, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Now that peace is the word shalom. And the word shalom, it literally means the Lord is on friendly terms with you. We who are the enemy of God, God is saying, shalom, we're on friendly terms. That don't sound like much, just hear it like that. That is beyond big. Just when Gideon thought he would die, the Lord basically says, I'm on friendly terms with you, so don't fear. You're not going to die. That ought to give us some hope today, shouldn't it? Well, what is the source of this peace? What, you know, we look at this. Where is, what is the source? Well, one is the terms. We need to understand that the Lord has offered terms of peace, but we need to understand this. They are His terms and they're not ours. They're not ours. Have you ever heard people say this? 
Well, you know, you're talking to him and say, man, I, you know, do you know the Lord? He says, you know, 20 years ago I went out behind the barn and I made peace with my guy. I don't know. There's a lot of guys went behind the barn. I hear that more than once. Or somebody's on, they're dying. They're on their deathbed. And somebody comes and they give this advice. Well, you need to make peace with the Lord. You know, you'll see movies where somebody's going to the electric chair. A chaplain comes in. We're going to give you this time that you can make peace. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you something. That's, the thought isn't bad, but the advice is generally going to send you right to hell. It's almost like saying, Darren, you better go out and make peace. Figure out some way to you know, get it right with God before you die. Darren goes out and he says, you know, Lord, just who I am. You know, I like to drink and party and fight and all that stuff but you know lord you know we're good come back made peace with the lord those are not his terms of peace those are not his terms of peace when we look at the story here in gideon terms of peace for the believer is there's an old song we used to sing. We used to talk about worship and songs today. There's kind of a song, and it's true, it's kind of simple. It was a song called Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You need to, you need to trust God and obey because He is God. Because He has loved you and you're reciprocating that love back to him. But here, if we look in Judges 12, and, and, and one thing we need to do is we need to believe God about who we are. And you think, what do you mean by that, Ron? Well, who God has said that you are, you need to believe and trust God that he's right about who you are. Now, how many of you will go around and say, man, I ain't nothing but a filthy sinner? You know, we hear that all the time. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's the title you give yourself and probably somewhat some false humility a little bit, you know. But here, look at look in verse 12 when God shows up and he appeared to Gideon and he says this. He said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, it's possible that prior to Midian coming and oppressing the children of Israel, it's possibly that Gideon had been a warrior. Maybe he'd been a good warrior. And the Lord shows up and he says, you mighty man of valor. And I don't know, maybe. What I do know is this. The Lord came and he called him a mighty man of valor. Now I want to ask you something. Is God right? Absolutely. Now, what was the mighty man of valor doing? Was he over sharpening up his sword? Was he over practicing, you know, some moves? No. He was hiding from the enemy under a terebinth tree, threshing wheat. Not really acting like who he is, is he? Who has God said that you are? He has called you beloved. He has called you the redeemed. He has called you the justified. He has called you the righteous. 
He has called you his holy people. I want to ask you something. Are you that person? I usually ask people this. I go to the prison a lot, and I love doing this in the prison. <laughs> One thing is really odd. In the prison, there is a great number of men in there who believe they don't sin. Now, I'm talking anymore. I ain't sinned in 10 years or whatever, you know. And I ask them a question. I say, are you righteous? Oh, yeah. How righteous are you now? Boy, when you ask that question, they start going, I don't know, man. They're going to give me a scale, you know. How, how righteous? And I say, you know, 1 to 10, 1 being really way down here, 10 being, or, you know, that's, that's as best you can get. I say, well, how many of you guys think you're as righteous as, say, Titus? Titus, he's got a, a book, you know, written to him. He's got his name over it, right? He's pretty righteous. And people go, uh, probably not. And I say, what about Paul? Anybody as righteous as Paul? No, no way. How many of you are righteous as Jesus? And everybody goes, no way. And I said, well, I got bad news for all y'all. You're all going to go to hell. And they're like, what? I said, I didn't ask you how righteous you felt. I asked you how righteous you are. And if you're a believer in Christ and God has gave to you, he's imputed to your account the righteousness of Christ. So you, here's the point. We need to believe who God has said that we are. And you'll, still, you'll quit having these struggles about your identity. Your identity is in Christ. When you start trying to be your identity in something else, you're going to get all crazy-like. But when your identity is in Christ, and you know that you're beloved, and you know that you're redeemed, and you know that you're just, and you know that you're righteous because of Him, and God has called you that, then that's who you are. So he tells Gideon, he says, You mighty man of valor. The second one was, you need to remember what God has done for you. In verse 13, Gideon goes back and he says, If the Lord's with us, then how, why has all this happened? Where's all his wonderful deeds that the fathers recounted us? And they, he starts doing this. Now what they had to do is they had to go back and they had to remember that God had saved them out of Egypt. He had led them to the promised land. He had destroyed all their enemies. He had drove them out and he had gave them a land that they didn't even have to work for. What about for us? So many people think the gospel something you did back when you got saved. And since then, you've moved on to bigger and better things. Let me tell you something, folks. You never leave the gospel. You only go deeper into the gospel. And you need to constantly be reminding yourself of the love that God has for you in this sense. While you were sinners, Christ died for you. He has called you holy and beloved. Not because of who you were. Not because of what you've done. But in spite of who and what you were. And in spite of what you've done since you've known Him. He took your place. He became your substitute. He has called the one that is unworthy. He has called you worthy. You are His beloved. We need to remember what God has done for us. We need to trust in what God is doing in us. In verse 14, 
The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Let me ask you something, church. Visiting with the lady the other night, and she said, Does the church, does it have any kind of thing going for human trafficking? Talking about our church. Is there anything, any kind of ministry we do that has to do with human trafficking? I said, no, we don't. I mean, we, you know, I mean, I'm sure if we came across it, we would want to do something. But we don't have anybody that says, hey, I feel called to this. And I said, let, let me explain something to you about the church. Most of the time, people look at, when they say the church, now when you say, what's the church doing? What is most of the time, who are they really talking about? What's the, what's the pastor doing? What's the elders doing? Are, are they doing something about this? Well, let me tell you how this really works, okay? If you're the one asking that question, then I'm going to have to have the assumption, maybe right, maybe wrong, that maybe God has laid this on your heart. And you're part of this fellowship, and I will try to help you. I will try to help equip you. I will come alongside of you, but if God has given you a work, then you need to trust that God is going to lead you in that work. Don't be saying, what's the church doing? I mean, who are you talking to, yourself? See, it's just a misunderstanding of what the church is. It's a misunderstanding of how the church works. Now, if you're nuts, I don't want you going out and doing anything until you learn how to not be crazy, okay? And that, that sometimes you have those people. That's usually the ones that are very aggressive, but they don't, they don't understand how to even present the gospel a lot of times. So if you're part of this fellowship, just because you want to do it, I may, I may say, you may go do it, but we are not saying we're part of you, okay? We need, to be, we need to learn. We need to be trained. We need to be discipled. But we need to trust in, in, in what God is doing, what he's going to do through you and in you. And here with Gideon, he was going to deliver Israel. And Gideon sent her saying, I'm the least. In verse 15, we need to know that God, that as God sends you out, he is with you. And I think this is one of the things, listen, in verse 15, he said to him, this is Gideon, he says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Well, listen, here's where I think a lot of people don't understand this. It's like, it's like the Lord standing here, and he says, Boyd, I want you to go do this. And Boyd goes out the door, and the Lord stays here, and Boyd's out there like, man, I don't know what to do. No, it's not the way the Lord is doing this. As Gideon went out, and I don't know if you know the full story of Gideon, because we're not going to get through it all, but just in a nutshell, here's what happens. He starts off with 30,000 men, 30. 32,000 maybe. I don't know. can't remember. But anyway, he starts off with a number that you could number, okay? And the Lord told him, he says, um, you need to send a lot of these people home. And so a bunch of them went home, and then he, he, was, or, I think he said, everybody's fearful. What was it? 22,000? Okay. Okay. I thought it was 32, but that's okay. 
It's 32? Uh, boys, his translation's bad. 32,000. Well, anyway, 22,000 went home because they were fearful. They was left with 10,000. And the Lord brought him down to a stream, and he says, have him get a drink of water. And he says, some drank in a certain way, and basically they were like non-observant. The other ones, they would lap water like a dog. And he says, set those aside, and it was 300 men. Now, God has told Gideon, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you. So you're thinking 300. Okay, now we started with 32,000, but now here's the interesting thing. Um, the number of the Midianites, you couldn't count them. They were, they were so numerous that you couldn't even count them. So even if you had this 32,000, you, you can number that, but basically here's what happened. You think, okay, the Lord's really going to have something really cool to defeat them with. Well, here's what it was. It was torches, and it was pitchers, and trumpets. And he spread these 300 men out all around the camp of the Midianites, and he said on the signal, he says, I want you to Put the torches in the pitchers. I want you to smash them on the ground, and I want you to blow your trumpets. And this happened, and I'm sure it just echoed. The scripture says that the Midianites, in their panic, killed more of their own selves than even Gideon and the army killed. But God delivered those Midianites into the hand of Gideon. Now I want to ask you something. If that was today, and God said, I'm going to use you and 300 people to devour a people you can't number, who would step in line and say, I'll go? Even though we know the story of Gideon. But here's what I want you to know. You need to know that as God sends you out, He is with you. It is a privilege for God to use you. God is saying, it's a privilege to be able to use your vessel for my service. And to know that whatever happens, that God is with you. Now, terms of peace, we want to look at the sacrifice here. I got to hurry a little bit. In verse 17, he says to him, he says, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. He says, Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So now Gideon says this. He says, Now look, if I found favor, you can say it like this. If I found grace in your sight, let, let me go bring a present you know, and accept it. Okay, and he says, I won't leave. And so, so Gideon goes, he went into his house in verse 19 and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour out the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff, of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Now, when this happened, this is when Gideon says, Alas, O Lord, O God. It's at this point his eyes are opened. But what do we see? How did he know that was the Lord? Well, if you go back in Leviticus 9, you see that when Aaron and his sons had been consecrated, and then they were going to offer up these offerings, 
When the Lord came down, He consumed it with fire. They had been told these stories. And here He is, He's presenting this. He's saying, if I have found favor. But what do we really have a picture of right here? It says He took a young goat. Now keep in mind, they didn't have hardly anything, did they? This young goat was costly. It was precious. And Gideon runs and he takes this young goat. Now when you go back and you read in Leviticus, they offered up a goat and they offered up an ox and they offered up a lamb. But the goat was offered up for the sins of the people. And so here what we see is we see Gideon offering up this goat. Now this is a goat. He didn't have flocks. I mean, they, they had been devoured. He probably had it. He's nursing it. He's trying to raise it up for no doubt food, but no doubt other food. You know what I'm saying? And he takes it and he presents it before the Lord. Now here's the deal. He, his question was, if I have found favor. And the Lord takes the staff and he touches it. And the fire consumes it. Now the fire, I believe it's a picture of God's judgment. Israel had sinned. He comes to Gideon. He calls him and he says, I'm going to use you to deliver him. I'm going to be with you. And Gideon says, if I found favor or if I have found grace, would you accept this offering? And when the Lord touched it, fire came out of the rock and consumed it. What is that a picture of? Listen, folks, if that fire doesn't consume that offering, then that fire, that consuming fire, which is our God, he's going to devour Gideon. It is a picture of our Lord presenting himself in our place and God pouring his wrath out upon his son and accepting that offering and not pouring his wrath out upon you. You want to talk about terms of peace? Those are our king's terms of peace. He comes and he says this, I am the holy God. You are lost in your sins. You are wicked beyond belief. When you go talk to people, they get all offended, don't they? You know why? Because the message of the cross is offensive. You don't need to be offensive with it. Just tell it like it is. Tell it in the most gentle, loving way you can. And it's offensive. You're telling me I'm, I'm a sinner? Absolutely, that's what I'm telling you. I was talking to one lady over here on the west side of town, and, and I was telling her these things. She goes, well, you're making me feel bad. And I said, hallelujah, we're getting somewhere. If you don't, I hear people say all the time, well, I've been saved. Ask them this. What were you saved from? A blank look comes over their face. What were you saved from? Well, I don't know. I was just saved. Well, were you lost? Well, I don't know. That's what the preacher told me. I mean, think about this. If you were walking around Wintersmith Park and somebody ran up to you, Blake, Blake, I'm here to save you. What? You're lost and don't even know it. Blake's like, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm at, right? But now, if Blake thought he was in Wintersmith Park, but he was actually over in Sulphur Park, and he'd been missing for seven days, 
And somebody ran up and said, Blake, I'm here to save you. And he's like, what are you talking about? I've just been walking in Wintersmith Park. He goes, dude, you are in sulfur. And Blake's like, what? That makes a little more sense, doesn't it? So my question is, what were you saved from? People will say, well, I was saved from my sin. Yeah, kind of, yeah, that's true. Well, I was saved from hell. That's true. But really, who did God save you from? And if you don't know the answer, here it is. God saved you from himself. The wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the children of disobedience. God gave a sacrifice on your behalf to save him, to save you from himself. His wrath was poured out upon Christ on your behalf. Those are his terms of peace. And if you can't handle those terms of peace, then you are under the wrath of God. That's all I'm going to tell you about that. And I'm going to beg you to repent, to turn, to look to Christ for salvation. And if you don't, then you have no peace. Any kind of security you think you have, it is false. That is the only terms of peace that are offered to us. And lastly, we need to know who this man is. When Gideon was threshing this wheat, it says, The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. And the word Lord, there is Jehovah. In verse 12, it says, The Lord is with you, Jehovah. In verse 16, it says, And the Lord said, Jehovah, or Yahweh. You get down to verse 22. Or in 21, it says, the Lord reached out. All of this time, it's the Lord, it's Yahweh, it's Jehovah. But look at Gideon's response in verse 13. He says, please, sir. Now, you could translate that Lord. And it's like kind of a reverence for someone, but it's not Jehovah. Please, sir, if, if the Lord, if, if Yahweh is with us, he's talking to him. And then he says, in verse 15, he says, please, Lord. Now, this is a more emphasized form of sir, but it's still not Yahweh. He says, how can I save Israel? But you get in verse 22. And Gideon perceived that it was he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. And Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, to Yahweh, Jehovah. And he called it, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. God is our peace. In Isaiah 9, 6, he is called the Prince of Peace. In John 16, 33, Jesus is speaking to them. He says, and it's in him, in me, that you may have peace. In John 20 and 19, after his resurrection, I want to put you there just for a brief moment in your mind. Jesus has been crucified. He has appeared on the way to Emmaus to some men. But can you imagine the confusion, the chaos, everything that's going around? All the people are in the upper room, and Jesus just appears to them. He doesn't walk through the door. He doesn't come through the roof. He just appears. And his first words to him is, peace unto you. You know what he's saying? I'm on friendly terms with you. 
peace be unto you. If you will, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're just about through. In Ephesians chapter 2, usually we, we preach verses 1 through 10, and we preach them strongly, and we should. But if we pick up in verse 11, this is what we see. He has just told us that we are saved by grace. It's not of our works. It's not by our own doing. It's the gift of God. He tells us it's we're His workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared, prepared before Him that we should walk in them. And then He says, therefore, remember. I want you to remember. Don't forget that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, He's talking to probably everyone in this room. We were Gentiles. He's going to give a description of what that meant. He said, we were called the uncircumcision. When the Jews spoke of the Gentiles, they spoke of them, you're the uncircumcision. You know what they were saying to us? You have no covenant with God. You're not God's people. God's blessings aren't on you. His promises aren't for you. You're the uncircumcision. And he says, in verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Listen, this is what we were. We were separated from Christ. We, we were his enemies. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. All of the covenants, the promises. that were there. He says, we had no part. We were strangers to those covenants of promise. We had no hope. And we were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now listen to this. For He Himself is our peace. He is our peace. Peace is not something that God gives us that's outside of Him. He is our peace. You have Christ, you have peace. We were Without God, we were without Christ. We were separated from Him. We had no hope, no promise. We had nothing. We were just doomed. And He came. Now listen to what it goes on and says. He Himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. Listen, folks, these people that got this idea today that ethnic Israel, Jews that are Jews by blood only, that they're the people of God. I'm telling you, they're not the people of God. The people of God are those who have been born again. They are the ones who are the children of Abraham. By faith, they are children the same way Abraham was. By faith, by faith, by faith. Those are the ones who have the peace of God. And he says, he might reconcile us both. Everyone comes the same way. It's through Christ. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross and thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He has preached peace to us. 
I'm going to end it with this. Now as we go forth, he told us in Matthew, what did he tell us? I'm sending you out. I want you to go preach the gospel to the whole world. I want you to make disciples of all nations. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you. Folks, if we can't grab a hold of that, if we can't wrap our mind around it, how in the world are you ever going to have peace when you know that as you go out that Christ is with you? He has given us His Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He is our the, the earnest. He is the down payment saying, I have purchased this one. I am with you. And as we go, no listen, as we go, we're going to face trials, right? You remember when the disciples were on the boat and then the, and the storm rose up and Jesus is asleep in the bottom of it. And they wake him up and they said, Lord, don't you even care that we're about to die? And Jesus says, peace, be still. And all of a sudden that storm just stopped. I want to ask you one question. They were on a boat with Jesus, right? Were they any more secure when the storm ceased? than when they were in the storm? You are just as much saved, whether it's peaceful waters or whether it's stormy waters. And when you can understand that, that peace resides in your soul. When John Wesley was out preaching all over the Americas and Georgia and stuff, he came across these Moravians. It's kind of a denomination. They're a little different, but... These guys were in a storm on the ocean, and John Wesley is afraid he's going to die, and he's come to the realization he's not even saved. How did he come to that? He saw these Moravians out there just singing to the Lord. And he's like, how could these guys be singing like that? They're so confident. They're so secure. And through that, he came to this realization, I'm not even saved. And he agonized for months after month after month. Wanting to know that kind of peace that those Moravians had. Well, it's not a system, folks. It really comes from knowing Christ. It comes from knowing Him. Not knowing about Him. Not having an intellectual understanding of Christ. Not where you can quote all the verses about Christ. But I'm talking about a real experiential relationship with Christ. And when you have that, you have peace. Philippians 4. I'm going to read these and I'm going to be through. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. It says this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. Now listen to me, church. Paul's writing, he's writing what the Lord's telling us. He says, I don't want you worrying about things. How many of you are anxious? How many of you are worried about the coming election? I know. It's difficult to understand that out of almost 400 million people, they're telling us these are the best two options you got. On a natural sense, a lot of worry, right? For the Christian, should we worry? You think these guys are worse than Nero? They may be on their way. 
But Nero took Christians and used them as, light, as, 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 as lights for the streets. He would bag them up, set them on fire. He says, don't be anxious. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. We pray often. We supplicate often. But is it, is it mingled? Is it, is it lavished with thanksgiving? He says, let your request be made known to God. We need to be like little children. I guarantee you, that little guy sitting on Sherry's lap, he makes his request known, good or bad. He says, let your request be made known to God. Now listen to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When all the world's in turmoil, and everybody's running around like they, they just like a chicken with their heads cut off. And if you've never seen that, you go cut a chicken's head off, it just starts running around. It's crazy. Christians shouldn't be like that. Christians should be standing still, looking to the Lord. He says, bring those things to the Lord. Thank Him for everything that's going on. Think of how His ad's refining you. And then He says, he says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, how is it that Christians, in the worst of times, loss of a child, loss of a spouse, loss of a job, all these things, how is it that those people are able to say, glory be to God? How was it Job was able to have, have everything taken, even his children? And he says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. How does that happen? It comes from knowing the Prince of Peace. It comes from knowing Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. And he says, the People will look at you and they'll be amazed. They'll not understand how you're dealing with this, how there's joy in your heart. How can you have such peace in a time of turmoil is what you will hear. And he says, God's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Tim, if you guys want to come on up. While they're coming up, I want to tell you this. If you're a believer today and you don't feel this peace in your life and you need to take a look, you need to remember what's been done for you. You need to remember what God has done, who God has called you to be. What, you know, how long has it been? Has sin entered your life and you feel too ashamed to ever even look up? Listen, David sinned. He sinned wickedly. You could almost say he broke every commandment when he sinned with Bathsheba. And God forgave him. God raised him up. He says, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. 
He says, when you do that, he says, then I will sing your praises. I will declare it to those who are lost. Do not let those things beat you down because your God is your peace. When all those accusations come, you can say, yes, you're right. I'm guilty of that. I want to turn. I want to remember what he's done for me. I want to turn. I want to repent. I want to seek the Lord and let him bring beauty out of those ashes. Know who you are in the Lord. You are the beloved. He is our Jehovah Shalom.